Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes, you heard me correctly. Ecclesiastes, not the Gospel of Luke. Ecclesiastes. And as you're turning there, you probably heard this song before. To everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. You know that song. It's by the birds. It was number one on the Billboard chart in 1965. The birds were the epitome of the 60s folk rock sing with the jangly guitars and the wonderful vocal harmonies. And this song was an anthem for the beginning of the protest for the Vietnam War. This song was featured in movies such as Forrest Gump, American Graffiti, and it showed up numerous times on the television show The Wonder Years. And it's interesting because this song was written from the King James Version of the passage we're going to look at this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything, turn, turn, there's a season, turn, turn. So as we begin the new year of 2023, I thought it would be appropriate for us to focus our attention on this passage of Scripture for us today in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so here's my question as we begin the new year. How do you grow in your worship of God as we begin 2023? How do you grow in your worship of God? Because we have to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow. So the question is, how do you do that? How do you grow? Well, we're going to look this morning at the book of Ecclesiastes to hear the wisdom of King Solomon and find out the answer to that question. So if you've got your scripture, let's read this passage together. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful 
and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Now here's the main point or the central theme of this passage of Scripture. God's absolute sovereignty over all things should lead us to stand in awe of Him. God's absolute sovereignty over all things should lead us to stand in awe of Him. Now, this passage of Scripture nicely divides into three sections. And so let's look at these three sections this morning and find out what Solomon has for us and how to grow in our worship of the Lord in 2023. So part one is a confident declaration. This is in verse one. It's a confident declaration. I want you to notice what Solomon says. He just basically comes right out of the gate and says, For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Do you hear the word every there? Everything. Everything. Nothing in this universe is not under God's sovereign control. And that word time is very important to this passage of Scripture. It shows up a lot. A time, a time, a time. There's a time for every matter. That word in the original language means the appropriate time or the appointed time or God's sovereign time. In other words, what, the, what, what Solomon's telling us is there's nothing random in God's universe. There's nothing random. Everything is meticulously governed by God, even time itself. Now, there have been a lot of scientists who have explored the wonders of science, but then looked it straight in the eye and came away from it denying who God is. I don't know if you know of a man named Francis Crick. He died in 2004, but he was the co-discoverer of the DNA molecule. And he rejected intelligent design and was an avowed atheist. And so he saw the intricacies of the DNA molecule. He, he saw the evidence staring him in the face, but he could not bring himself to believe that God was the creator. Here's what he said about the complexity of the DNA protein. He said this, You would be more likely to assemble a fully functioning and flying jumbo jet by passing a hurricane through a junkyard than you would to assemble the DNA molecule by chance. In any kind of primeval soup in five or six hundred million years, it's just not possible. And yet, he denied God did it. He was an avowed atheist. He could not accept that God created all things. So God is not only the creator of all things. What this passage tells us is that God is sovereignly governing all things. Things in life happen at His appointed time. God is governing and directing all things. This is called the providence of God. 
Now let me give you some definitions this morning. There's a difference between the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Oftentimes we just use the word sovereignty of God, and I know what you mean, but there's a difference. Okay, let me give you the difference. The sovereignty of God is His power. His absolute power over all things. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. That's God's sovereignty. God's providence, on the other hand, is God's governing. God's orchestrating, God moving history to its appointed end, God intricately involved in your life. That's what providence is. Now, it's tied to sovereignty because only a sovereign God can providentially work. And so the word providence, we don't use that often. It comes from the Latin word providere, which means to see beforehand. It's interesting, if you go back to the Hebrew, the word to see and the word to provide are the same Hebrew word. In Latin, it's almost the same thing, to see beforehand and to provide. In other words, what the word providence means is not that God is passively taking in knowledge as it comes, but that God actively knows the future. Not only does God actively knows the future, but He's ordained the future. He's already there and knows exactly what's going to happen, and He's actively working things out according to His plan. Now, one of the most beautiful expressions of God's providence comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Not the Baptist Catechism that we've been using, but the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a Protestant catechism that is used more in Presbyterian and Dutch Reformed churches, but it's one of the famous catechisms from the Reformation. In question 27, ask the question. So remember, catechism asks a question, it gives an answer. Question 27, what do you mean by the providence of God? What is the providence of God? Let me give the catechism's answer because I think it's wonderful. Here's the answer that the catechism gives, and it's biblical. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, and all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Nothing happens by chance in God's universe. Rain, grass, drought, sickness, health, riches, poverty, all come from Him. He governs it all. Psalm 57.2 says this, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Have you ever thought about this psalm before? God fulfills His purpose for me. Now, in the original language, that word fulfills His purpose means this. It means that God is actively working out His plan for you. God is completing or perfecting His plan for you. And so if God is actively working out His plan for you, the psalmist says, that's why I need to cry out to God. I need to trust the Lord because He's working out His purpose for me. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Okay, if it's not in man to walk to direct our steps, then who is it? It's God. God directs our steps. We may make plans, but God guides, God governs, God directs our steps. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God is working out all things together for good. Ephesians 1, 11, in Him, 
We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. So this is Solomon's bold, confident declaration from the very beginning. God is over all things. He's the creator of all things. He's governing all things, even time itself. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens randomly. God is in charge. Now, to illustrate this, we move to the second part of this text. And so part two, and this is in verses two and eight, a poetic observation. I want you to notice if you have a, a written Bible there, notice how it's in poetry. It switches from prose to poetry. Now, Solomon could have given us cold, hard facts about God's sovereignty and providence. He could have laid down, like Paul, some deep theology. But what does he do? He gives us poetry. And numbers are very important. If you count up the numbers here, you have 14 pairs of opposites. So you get a list of 28 things, and they're polar opposites. Now, why do numbers matter? Why 14? Why 28? It's a derivative of 7. What does the Bible teach us about the number 7? It's the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. God created in six days and rested on the seventh day. You go look at the book of Revelation, it's all about 7. So you have 7, but you have double that, 14, adding up to 28. Now, this is not a comprehensive list of everything that happens in human experience, but it's a representative list. And so what Solomon is doing here by having this repetition of 14 different things that are polar opposites, he's, he's giving us this poetic way of showing that God is sovereign over time. Because notice it says, a time to, a time to, a time to. God is sovereign over time. Now, it's interesting. You don't know the Hebrew language, but if you were to read this in the Hebrew language, it would sound like a metronome. That's how we keep time, right? Our ticking of a clock. The first issue is a time to be born and a time to die. Let me ask you, anybody here choose when you were born? I chose the day I was going to be born. Hopefully anybody choose the day you're going to die. You, these are things that only God is sovereign over your birth and God is sovereign over your death. Listen to Psalm 39, 4-5. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Or Job 14.5, Since his days are determined, and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. You and I cannot control our birth any more than we can control our death. God controls that. There's a time for everything. Now notice what he says next, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted. There's a time to plant. Anybody going to go out this week and plant some things in your garden? We don't plant things in January here in Sterling, do we? What's the old adage? You don't plant anything until after Mother's Day, right? Because of the freeze. You can go plant if you want, but it's, there's a time to do that. So I want you to notice the polarities of life, the opposites. And these are direct opposites that, that Solomon's giving to us in a poetic way. And they're expressions of life, things that are wonderful, things that are enjoyable, things that are blessings, and then he contrasts that with things that are heartache, things that are difficult, things that are sad or grievous or uncomfortable. 
So let's look at the joyous and wonderful times. The birth of a new baby. The planting of a garden. The healing of a womb. A time to build. A building of a new house. A time to laugh. Laughing with friends and family. Time to dance. Dance with joy. A, a time to gather stones together. Now, gather stones together. This was to build a wall. Or to remove stones so, the, so they could build a wall. There's a time to embrace. This was probably referring to the, the couple kissing on, on the wedding day. There's a time to seek. This is about buying things, buying things that you need. There's a time to keep. Some things are to be put in a safe for safekeeping. There's a time to sew. When they were in times of mourning, they would rip their clothes as mourning, and then after they were done mourning, they'd go back and sew their clothes together. A time to speak, a time to love, and a time of peace. These are the good things in life. Laughing, dancing, marrying, enjoying the blessings that God gives you. And notice what Solomon says. There's a time for all these things. God has appointed these times in your life for enjoyable, comfortable blessings. But notice the exact opposite. God is also sovereign over the heartaches, the pain. Here's what we need to understand. Don't get God off the hook by only giving Him credit for the good things in your life. We really like to bless God when things are going good, but the bad things that happen to us, God is just as sovereign over those as well. Later on in Ecclesiastes 7.14, Solomon says this, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God has made your time of prosperity. God has made your time of adversity. There's a time, an appointed sovereign time that God is orchestrating in your life to bring these things about. Now look at, look at the negative things, the painful things. There's a time to die, the death of a loved one. Time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill. Now, time to kill does not mean, he's not giving you permission to go out and commit murder. This is probably talking more about military in a war. There, there's a time justly where it is appropriate to actually kill if you are in the service or if you're in the military or if you're a policeman, weeping. In that culture, they would put ashes on their heads as a demonstrable way to show that they were sorrow, mourning, casting away stones, refraining from embracing. There's times you don't embrace. When do you not embrace? When you have COVID and you have to stay six feet away, right? We, we, we understand that. Social distancing. There's a time to lose. That's probably talking about losing money. There's a time of casting away, tearing up, keeping silent, hating war. So poetically, Solomon has given us this observation of pretty much representative of every type of human experience under the sun. There's ups, downs, peaks, valleys, good times, bad times. And none of this is by random chance or fate. God is behind everything that happens to you sovereignly orchestrating everything to its desired end. And like the ticking of the clock, God is moving history to its end, and He's moving your life in the way that He's directing your life. There's a time for everything, and God is sovereign over all these things. So Solomon has given the bold declaration, and he's given kind of a poetic explanation, but here's the Part three, 
he gives a theological explanation in verses 9 through 15. He provides some theology to help us fill in the gaps here. And he gives four teachings to show us theologically how God is sovereign over all things. So let's look at these four things. Number one, God has made everything appropriate for its time. Now notice what it says there. Verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, beautiful is an okay translation that the ESV gives, but really, that Hebrew word means appropriate, fitting, suitable. Again, he's just reiterating what he's already said. God has ordained time and everything that happens in time according to his plan for you. Number two, God has put eternity into the human heart. Now, what does this mean, that God has put eternity in the human heart? We are not animals, okay? My dog, Oakley, my Bernadoodle, does not sit around and ponder the deep things of life. I've never caught her over there thinking, well, maybe she is, thinking about heaven, thinking the deep things of life. She likes to be fed. She likes to be pet. She likes to be walked. She is an animal. She's just happy to come up and and just be in my lap. But we as humans, we're created in God's image to have self-awareness, to be reflective, to think, to ponder, to wonder what happens to us when we die. And so there is hardwired into every single person this eternity, this quest, if you will, to try to figure things out. That's why you have so many different people searching for so many different type of religious experiences, because God's hardwired us to answer that question, to ask that question. It's only found in Him. There's this longing for the transcendent. And here's the problem sometimes. Notice what Solomon says. Verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in his time. He's also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Okay, here's the problem. When you start thinking deep thoughts about God and you start thinking about transcendent things, what ends up happening? You begin to ask the big question, why? How come? How come I don't have the answer to this? How come God's not telling me this? How come there's these mysteries out there that I don't know? Well, I got a great verse for you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There's some secret things that belong to God that that we're never going to find out. He's under no obligation to share those secret things with us. They're His things. Now, the things that are revealed, the things in the Scripture that we can know, we're responsible to know those. But the secret things, God does not give us access to that. Okay, number three. Enjoy God's gifts of food, drink, and work in the present. Now, some of you are like, I don't really enjoy my work. Food and drink I'll enjoy, but my work I don't. If you go back and read Ecclesiastes, about four or five times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, Solomon tells us, enjoy your work. Enjoy food. Enjoy drink. Enjoy the blessings in life that God has given you in the present, because you may not have them in the future. So live in the present. Enjoy what God has given you right now. In light of these limitations, there are some things God just decides to bless you sometimes. you got a job. you got food on the table. You, you, you've got these things that God has blessed you with. Enjoy them. Realize that they're from the hand of the Lord. Matthew 7, 7-11, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Sometimes God just blesses you with good things for you to enjoy and don't feel guilty for God blessing you. Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you and realize that it's from Him. He's given you these things to enjoy. But number four, and this comes back to the whole theme, God's meticulous and absolute sovereignty cannot be thwarted, changed, or altered. I've I've used three words there that all mean the same thing. Thwarted, changed, or altered, in case you didn't get it. What does he say in verse 14? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can be taken away from it. You can't add to what God's going to do. You cannot take away. God is sovereignly doing what God is sovereignly doing. Now, lest you think that this is just an Ecclesiastes, let me give you some verses that teach God's absolute and meticulous sovereignty over all things. This was read earlier, but let me read it again. Psalm 33, 8-11. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, but the plans of His heart to all generations. Okay, how about Psalm 135, verse 6? Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Where? In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Whatever God wants to do, He does. Isaiah 14, 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Answer, nobody. Isaiah 46, 9-10, Remember the former things of old. I am the Lord, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And my favorite, Job 42.2 I know you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We could go on and on throughout the scriptures. So, Solomon has made a declaration. God is sovereign. He's made a poetic observation. There's a time for all these things. He's given us a theological explanation. God's put eternity in the hearts of men. God is sovereign over all things. But to what end? Where's Solomon leading us? So what? Well, here's the so what. It's in verse 14. It's at the end of verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that, okay, here's the reason why. So that what? You read it there yourself. People fear before Him. So that we would fear God. Now, fear for the Christian means that we stand in awe. We respect and honor God. 
So a healthy dose of God's sovereignty should lead us to a life of worship and dependence for him on everything. Now, I mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism earlier and how it defined providence. But the Catechism asks the second question, which is the practical question. Okay, if God is controlling all things, that's what so- if providence means God is controlling all things, okay, here's the second question, the practical question. So this is question 28 in the Catechism. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by His providence does still uphold all things? So what, what does it mean to us? If God is sovereign over all things, if God is upholding all things, if God is providentially ruling all things, okay, what's the so what? And here's what he says. That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. Now, I'm going to use the catechism here to give three practical ways that we respond to the sovereignty of God, and the catechism answers it for us. Okay, here's what the first thing the catechism says. The reason why is first we can be patient in adversity. That's the one we don't like to hear, is it? Patient in adversity. Psalm 119.75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you've afflicted me. Sometimes God takes us through adversity to make us be patient and depend upon Him. Habakkuk 3, 17-18, Though the fig tree should not blossom or fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will be patient in adversity. Because God is sovereign, God is in control, I will be patient. And then Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. One of the great Puritans was a Puritan named John Flavel, and he wrote a good little Puritan paperback, you can get the little Puritan paperback, called The Mystery of Providence. It's all about the providence of God. And, and I, I was reading that this week just to kind of think about God's providence, and I came across a great statement he said. He said this, Afflictive providences are of great use to the people of God. They cannot live without them. The earth does not need more chastening frosts and mellowing snows than our hearts do need nipping providences. Now, I thought about that. What have we experienced on the ground here this past week? Blizzard. Nipping, frosty snow. God is chastening the ground, if you will, with with blizzards. And and Flavel says, now listen, your heart sometimes needs to get a little nippy, okay? Your heart needs to get a little frosty. Why do you need a frosty heart at times? Because we can be so, when things are going good, we don't think about God. So sometimes God may bring a blizzard to our hearts to cause us to rely upon Him. So if this blizzard hits again tomorrow, just think about this. When snow hits the ground, sometimes God may be bringing something into your heart that's cold, that's icy, that's uncomfortable, but He's doing it to cause you to be patient in adversity so you rely more upon Him. Okay, that's the first practical. Second, we can be thankful in prosperity. 
Remember Ecclesiastes 7.14? God has made your day of prosperity and your day of adversity. He's made them both. To be thankful in prosperity. What often happens when things are going good? Do you stop and thank God? I'm afraid sometimes we as Christians can just assume that that's God's job to bless us. That's God's job to bless us. And if He's not blessing me, He's not doing His job. And so we just presume upon God and assume that He's just going to always bless us. And so when we have blessings, we fail to actually thank Him. We just kind of assume that's the way it works for Christians because I'm obligated to get it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, even when things are going well. And then the third thing the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, we can be confident in the future. Whether you face good times or bad times in 2023, we need to rest assured that God is good, God is in control, and God has ordained your future. This should be your theme verse for 2023. Psalm 31, 14, and 15. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. My times are in your hands. And because my times are in your hands, Lord, I will trust in you. Romans 8, 31 through 32 what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us graciously all things? So what does God's providence do for us? It makes us acutely aware of our helplessness. It makes us acutely aware that we cannot control him. We may think we can, but we can't. It makes us acutely aware that we are utterly dependent upon Him. And it leads us to humility and awe and worship. You see, we live daily in light of our limitations. We live in weakness. We're constantly focusing on the things that we can't control. But if we focus on the sovereignty of God over all things this trust will just flow. We don't have to force it because we're focusing on the sovereignty of God. You see, the fear of the Lord comes in direct proportion to how much you think about His absolute sovereignty. If you think more about your problems and more about your issues and more about the, the things that are going wrong, that's where your mind's going to lead. The more you think about the absolute sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the control of God, the power of God, the more you're going to be at peace. And you're going to be trusting. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, this is how we started out our service. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When you understand God's sovereignty and providence, it should lead you to worship and awe. Now, this Ecclesiastes passage talks about time. There's a time for everything, a time to die, a time to plant. Uh, all, you, know, you know the songs running through your head. <laughs> Some of you that grew up with that song, you're thinking of all these things. But let's talk about how the Bible speaks about Jesus. 
It's interesting when you think about the word time. God is sovereign over time. Was God sovereign over Jesus' birth? You bet. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions of son. The fullness of time. Jesus was born at just the right time. How about his death on the cross? Was it at just the right time? What does Paul tell us in Romans 5, 6? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. His birth was at the right time. His death was at the right time. Okay, let's ask the most obvious question. Is Jesus coming back at the, at the right time? You bet. 1 Timothy 6, 14-15. The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Savior, or Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus was born at the right time. He died at the right time and he's coming back at the right time because there is a time for everything under heaven and God is sovereignly over everything. So what's Jesus doing right now as we're waiting for him to come back? He's sovereign over time, but he's also sovereign over the universe. Listen to two passages of Scripture. Colossians 1.17. This is talking about Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That word in the Greek means to sustain. Jesus right now is sustaining all things. All things are holding together because Jesus is holding them together. Do you realize that if Jesus was not holding all things together, there'd be no gravity and we'd fly off the planet? Jesus is holding all things together as sovereign king. Now, how's he doing that? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 1.3. It's talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe, how? By the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is upholding all things at the right time, just right now. This was the Jesus who was born at the right time, who died at the right time, who is coming back at the right time and right now is holding time in His hands and He's holding you in His hands. So everything that happens to you is because Jesus is sovereignly in control. And what should that lead us to do in 2023? Be fearful, be shaky, be nervous, trying to control Him? No, just the exact opposite. It should lead us to worship, to trust, to be at peace, to know that He is sovereign. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let a healthy dose of God's sovereignty lead us to stand in awe of Him. As we start 2023 by taking the Lord's Supper, let's bow in worship to our King and let us thank Jesus that He rules over all things even time itself lord my times are in your hands what do we often say lord it's my time and it's my hands and if it's convenient i'll let you have some control no my times are in your hands 
and therefore I trust in you. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, as we come to this time of coming to your table, which you are serving us, the body and blood and the elements as symbols of your death on the cross for us. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you are sovereign over all things. Lord, I, I, I really don't know how people operate that don't believe this. Lord, we can try to fight it. We can try to understand it, but ultimately, Lord, we've just got to accept it and then just trust that you are doing your plan, your will, and you're working it out according to your purpose. And you're a good God. You're a faithful God. At times it may not seem like what we're going through is good. It may be painful. Like all those opposites that we saw in Ecclesiastes, it may, it may be very painful, very uncomfortable, very mournful. But Lord, we know that you're sovereign over those times just as much as you are over the good times. So help us as we come to the Lord's table this morning to be joyful, to be thankful, to be trusting in you, Jesus, for being our King and Savior who is upholding all things, the universe, by the word of your power. Now that, Lord Jesus, that, that blows my mind. But by your word, you're upholding the universe? Pray, praise you, Jesus, for doing that. And not only are you upholding the universe, but you're upholding me. And you're upholding those in this room because we are in your hands. Let us leave this place with confidence knowing that we're in your hands. And that's the best place to be. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.